Amen. Aren't you grateful for God's love for you? Turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 7 through 12 again this week. I mentioned 7 through 11 last week, but 7 through 12. Also, I want to remind you, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, those pew Bibles are there for you to use and to have if you need them. So I want to make you aware of that. This is part two of a message entitled Purpose, Mission, Vision. Purpose, Mission, Vision. And we are talking about purpose this week, and we talked about purpose last week. We're going to talk about mission next week. Then starting May the 27th, we're going to talk about vision. What is God's vision for his church? And so we'll probably start looking at the beginning of the book of Acts and go from there. But let's start with Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verses 7 through 12, and let's dig right in. Let's stand in honor of God's word. Let's listen to what Paul has to say about your purpose as a church. Verse 7, in him, that's Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him, that's in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose, purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, help me to be faithful to preach your word today. Help us to hear your word and apply it to our lives. Father, I pray for those here that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that you'll convict them, help them to see their need for a Savior, and they will trust in you today. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's do a little review from last week first. That's where I want us to start, but let me mention a couple of things first. What is a purpose? What is a purpose? Don't want to get ahead of myself here. Let me remind you, these are my definitions, but I think they're, they're good ones. I borrowed them from a reliable source. It is the reason. A purpose is a reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. It is the reason. For your life, it is the why of your life. Why are you here? Why is there a church? Why do we exist? Do you think the whys are important? I think the whys are important. I think we need to ask whys. We don't often like to be asked the why, but I think it's important to ask the why and to dig down and to understand things. Now, when we talk about the mission next week, we'll talk about the what. And this plays into what we're talking about with regard to meeting together next Sunday night, because next Sunday night, we'll talk about the mission. We'll talk about what disciple-making looks like in the life of our church. What does it look like to grow from spiritual infancy really the spiritual lostness to spiritual maturity and how are we going to express that as a church but this is the because this is the why we do that now let me say this god can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick did you know that anybody ever heard that before paul makes a great statement over in the book of philippians where he says some preach christ out of contention some pe preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Anybody familiar with that passage? 
Then he goes, all I know is Christ is preached. So sometimes God does work. Oftentimes God does not work because of us. Sometimes he'll work in spite of us. Amen? And so we understand that we all have purposes we bring into this thing called the Christian life. But there are some specific biblical purposes I want you to see. Now, as a review of last week, let me just briefly hit on these four. And I'm going I'm to take a little bit more time with number four as we talk about them. First, why do you exist? Why does the church exist? Why are we still here? Because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That word redeems means he has purchased us. He has bought us back. Paul made the statement, he says, you are not your own. In other words, you don't belong to you anymore. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He purchased you with his blood. And you, I believe, means everybody. Nobody is outside of the ownership of Jesus. Y'all got that? You also serve him because you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. That word means he's thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west. He has dealt with your sin. How did he deal with it? He dealt with it on the cross. He took care of your sin on the cross. Aren't you glad he did that? Aren't you grateful? Shouldn't that motivate you in your Christian life to live a certain way because he has dealt with your sin? You couldn't deal with your sin. There's no, not enough good deeds for you to deal with your sin. So he dealt with your sin on the cross. That's why we serve him. That's why I'm up here. That's why you're out there. That's why we live for Jesus. Because we've been redeemed, because we've been forgiven, and because of the richness, the richness of his grace. And we talked about the fact that we live in a world that always talks about what they deserve. But let's be honest, if we got what we deserve, we would not want it. Because according to God, from his perspective, we deserve death and hell. At the moment of our first disobedience to God, we would deserve death and hell. In fact, that we're even here is a grace gift from God. He had every justifiable right to end it at Adam and to end it at Noah and to end it any other place along the way that we are breathing and have the opportunity to have relationship with him is a grace gift from him. And you either look at life through the lens of the grace of God or you look at it through the lens that God owes you something. But here's the truth. God owes you nothing. God owes you nothing. And you owe God everything. Now whether or not you agree with that will not change the fact that it's true. All right, everybody with me on that? That's not me. I'm just the mailman. I'm just telling you the truth. And I figure you'd want to know now before it was too late. Amen? Okay. So number four. Because he wanted his will to be known. God wants you to know his will. He wants you to know his will not just for you. He wants you to know his will for everybody else as well. Let me give you some passages about God's will. This is why I wanted to park here for just a second. Five passages, and you can write them down if you want. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. He says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Who desires, who desires, what does God desire? This is his will. All to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Did y'all know that God wants everybody saved? And he wants everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me give you another verse that speaks to that. 2 Peter 3, 9. 
2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. And I'm so glad he's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Did you know God doesn't want anybody to perish? That means end up in hell. But he wants everybody to come to repentance. So that's his will, and it's my job to make his will known. It's your job to make his will known. That's one of the reasons you're still here, is to make his will known. So we ought to be telling the world, world, God wants to save you. World, he wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth. Neighbor, he doesn't want you to perish. Neighbor, he wants you to repent. Because just like you need to know the will of God, they need to know the will of God. Here's another. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, and 5. Paul says, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God your sanctification, that you should sustain from sexual immorality and that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, and that's a word that means the nations of the world, who do not know God. Beloved, in this sex-saturated world, they need to hear the will of God is holiness. Do you know that? That's what they need to hear. And you need to hear it as well, church. You ought, to be, you ought to be special. You ought to be different in the way you live life from a relational and a sexual and whether you put it in your eyes or live it in your life, you ought to live differently. Here's another one, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God is that you not be shaped in the mold of this world, but you be transformed by God and that you live in such a way that you're a living sacrifice, that the world sees you as something special and something different and that you prove out the will of God. Here's one final one. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. God's will is that you be controlled by the Spirit of God. Just like alcohol controls a person and affects a person, the Spirit of God ought to be controlling and affecting you. Now that's God's will not just to be known by you, and He wants you to know that, and that's why you're still here, but He wants you to tell others. If you have failed to pass on what you've received, then you've missed half of the purpose. You're still here. He could have made his will known to you in heaven, could he not? But he's making his will known to you on earth in order that you might share it with others. Number four, because he wanted his will to be known. Okay, number five, moving along, number five. Take a look at the next passage. He says, to bring everything under the lordship of Christ. Then he has this statement. He says, that in the dispensation, in the working out of the fullness of time, that God might gather together in one all things in Christ. And we get a hint what he's talking about by his next statement. Both that are in heaven and that are in earth in him. What's he talking about there? Well, I believe he's saying God is bringing everything under the lordship of Christ. Does anybody know what the most quoted Old Testament verse is in the New Testament? Anybody know? I'm going to tell you. 
Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1, most quoted verse in the New Testament from the Old Testament. This is what it says. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's from King David. That is God the Father speaking to God the Son to say, you come and sit at the right hand on high, and we're in the process of gathering everything as your footstool under your feet. It's the picture of total authority and victory over someone. I think of the picture of Joshua when he took one of the pagan kings in the book of Joshua and laid him down and put his foot on his neck. And God is in the process of taking everything and put it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. Jesus is Lord. Amen? You do, now, here's phraseology, but listen. You do not make him Lord. You do not make Jesus Lord any more than you make a hurricane. He just flat is Lord. He just flat is Lord. He is Lord. And you either adjust to that accordingly in this life, or you deal with it in the next. Because Scripture tells us in Romans 14, 9, that when he raised from the dead, he was then proclaimed the Lord of the living and the dead, which means there's no way you can get away from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Even when you die. Some people say, well, when I die, I won't have to hear about this Christianity stuff. Oh, it'll get worse when you die. I'm just saying, it'll get worse when you die because you know what? He's not just Lord of the living. He's Lord of the dead. And the Bible even tells us in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that God has given him a name above every name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess on heaven and is on earth and you know where else? Below the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, God is in the process of bringing everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you can either surrender that lordship while you still have breath in your lungs or you will bow before him even if you're bowing in hell you will bow before him. Don't think hell is an escape from the Lordship of Christ. Because he is Lord of all. Amen? He's Lord of all. And your reason, your purpose for being here is to declare, proclaim the message that he arose and he is Lord. That's good news. You trust in him. Number six. Why does the church exist? To bring everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But the church also exists to receive an inheritance. Now, in your bulletin, it says to give an inheritance, but I want you to write in there to receive an inheritance. Because the one who is giving is God. How many of y'all have ever gotten any type of inheritance? How many of y'all hope to get an inheritance one day? Okay, oh, be honest. I got an inheritance one time from a lady who was a cousin in Nashville, Tennessee. She didn't have any kids and didn't expect it. You have to think about inheritance. It's something you get because you don't necessarily earn. You know that? And a lot of times, in order to get the inheritance, somebody has to die. You know that? Did you know somebody had to die for you to get your inheritance? Jesus Christ had to die for you to get your inheritance. But God has an inheritance for you. He has an inheritance for you. 
Listen to what it says in verse 11. In him, in Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance. You've got it. You haven't realized it yet, and you'll understand what I'm talking about as we walk through this. But you've got it. It's yours. It, that word inheritance means an allotment we receive. It's not based upon anything you've done. But it's based on something else. For us, it's based on what Christ has done for us. We receive our inheritance because we are in Christ. We are in Christ because we've trusted in him. You're not automatically in Christ. You're in Christ when you trust in him. When you give your life to him, you surrender your life to him. But to be in him means you've obtained that inheritance. So, let me say this to you. God longs to give good gifts to his children. Did you know that? God, now think about, you, you want to leave an inheritance to your children or to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren. And, but listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God wants to give you an inheritance. And it's a better inheritance than you could ever get here on earth. Here's some key verses that speak to that inheritance. Paul told the Ephesian church leaders in Acts 20, he said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That sanctified is key with regard to our inheritance. And God said, sent Paul to the Gentiles in Acts 26, and he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles for this to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, there's one of the purposes we mentioned earlier, and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now some people will say, well I'm saved, why do I have to be sanctified? Because the act of sanctification prepares you to receive your inheritance. And sanctification comes by faith. Just like you were saved by grace through faith, you are sanctified, you are set apart, you are made holy. You become special in this world by walking daily by faith in the Word of God. And that walking daily by faith in the Word of God prepares you for the inheritance that God has for you. If you're forgetting an inheritance for God, could you just say amen? Let's try it again. I caught you off guard. If you're for receiving an inheritance from God, would you just say amen? amen? Amen, I am too. So let's look at some more things that have to do with this inheritance. Paul says in this same book, Ephesians 1, he says this, the guarantee of our inheritance is until the redemption of our purchased possession is the Holy Spirit. God has given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that you will receive that inheritance. If you have the Holy Spirit, that's a promise you'll get your inheritance. Let me tell you something else about your inheritance. Hebrews chapter 9. It says, for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, confession. I told y'all I got an inheritance once. It's gone now. I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was nice. It helped pay bills and things like that. But you have to think about worldly inheritance. Even Bill Gates, when he gives his inheritance, 
it can still run out. They probably had to work hard to do it, but it'll still run out. Listen, the inheritance God gives you is eternal. It's eternal. It never runs out. Here's one other verse I want you to see, because you're probably going, you know, this is sounding really good. Well, here's one more verse. Peter tells where that inheritance is when he says these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. There it is, that eternal inheritance. Listen to the next words, though. Reserved in heaven for you. Brother John, I was hoping I was going to get it here. Well, you got the deposit, didn't you? You got the Holy Spirit. You got the front end of it. It's never going to run out. By the way, a heavenly inheritance is better than any earthly inheritance. You're going to be able to live forever in a place where the streets are made with gold. Your whole concept of value and importance and finances and money is going to get flipped over because the things that seem so important in this world will mean nothing in the presence of God. By the way, the presence of God is a good enough inheritance for anybody. And that's why he made you. That's why you are the church. That's why you're here. That is your purpose. That's why we're on mission. That is the why of our life because God, who is the greatest benevolent giver there could possibly be wants to give you an undeserved inheritance that's waiting for you he doesn't have to he doesn't need to but he wants to so last why does the church exist to bring everything under the lordship of christ for us to receive an inheritance and finally to live life for his praise and glory I mean, just listening to the first six, we ought to be shouting. Amen? We ought to be shouting. To his praise and his glory, we exist in order to bring praise and glory to God. God is worthy of all praise and glory. And what does it mean to glorify God? It means to give glory to him. That word glory is related to his greatness and his splendor. The word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. And if you Put the idea of his praise and his glory together. You find that glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and give him honor by praising and worshiping him primarily because he and he alone deserves to be praised and worshiped. That is the reason we exist. That is our purpose. That is our why to give glory to God. In verse 13 and 14 that follow immediately follow this passage, it uses the phrase, praise of his glory one more time and listen to what it says it says in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory so you ought to be giving glory to god you ought to be giving praise to god that's why you are still here now you will praise him in heaven Amen? But you ought to be praising him here because people need Jesus Christ. People need the Lord. Let me share with you from 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says when in Acts 2, when they began preaching the word, even when they were speaking in unknown languages, speaking in languages and unknown tongues, they were giving glory to God and giving praise to God. And there's two ways you can do this, and you ought to do them both. You ought to do it by your life. You ought to live in such a way that people will look at you and say, what in the world's going on with them? Why are they so kind? Why are they so loving? Why do they have joy? Why are they grateful? Why do they display these things that we would call through the Spirit? You ought to live that with your life, but can I tell you, you can't get away from living it with your lips as well. You cannot keep the praise of God, and that's all evangelism is. All evangelism is, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. The bread of life. Jesus Christ. It's sharing that you give him the glory, you give him the praise, you give him the honor, and you live your life in that every single day. So that is the why. That is the why. That's seven of them. That's enough, is it not? There's probably more, but if we just based our lives on those seven purposes and let that be the fuel that propels us, imagine what our lives would be like. So let me just remind you what these seven are. One last time, just looking at the passage, and then we're done. But I want you to think about your why as I share with you. Number one, because he redeemed you. He bought you back. Number two, because your sins have been forgiven. Number three, because of the richness of his grace. We call it amazing. Number four, because he wants his will to be known. He wants you to shell Tell everybody his will. Because he's bringing, number five, he's bringing everything under the lordship of Christ. Number six, to give us an inheritance and for us to receive it. And finally, number seven, to give him all the honor and glory and praise. Beloved, your life has purpose. Your life has a reason. You can tell folks, why are you the way that you are? Well, now you've got the answer. Now you've got the answer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you are today, but I'm here to tell you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's the deal. He died for you. He purchased you with his blood. He's forgiven your sins. He has given you a rich, abundant, amazing grace. He has an inheritance waiting for you that's better than any worldly inheritance. Jesus is Lord, and he is offering you the opportunity to get that lordship right today and surrender to him. Listen. His lordship is only optional. His lordship is only optional until you draw your final breath because you won't escape it when you die. He is Lord. He is Lord. And he offers you the opportunity in this life to choose him. And you're here to bring him praise and glory. So do it. Child of God, do it. And if you've never trusted in him, why don't you give your life to him today? If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to him, and I don't care if you even come down front and do it, if you just do it, you can do it tonight, you can do it this afternoon. I, I'm just praying that if there's someone here today that has never come to that point of the knowledge of the truth 
and come to repentance. Those are the terms that Paul uses. Come to the knowledge of truth and come to repentance. That'll happen today for you or that you won't be able to go to sleep until it does. That's my prayer. Because I love you and I want you to have an inheritance. See, here's the thing about our inheritance, folks. Worldly inheritances, the more people with fingers in the pie, the less you get. But with God's inheritance, the richness of his inheritance is never affected by the number who come to him. So share the good news that God has an inheritance for all who will believe. Heavenly Father, I just trust this time in your hands. Speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If God's spoken to your heart, you need to respond.